on He is Christ of the book. Oh, and by the way, that other announcement, uh, Dan Hurley called this morning, is asking for prayer. So I assured him that, that his church family would be praying for him. He's got some health issues, and so he's asking us to pray. So uh, we'll be praying for, for Dan Hurley. Diana. And for Joyce Sanchez. Thank you. Joyce is having a difficult time. I was thinking about her on the way in and forgot about praying. Thank you. Because God sits on his throne, because we know that he's invited us to bring all of these different requests before him, we can do so with certainty. You know, this study, as we have been going through it, has really given, given me a greater love for the Lord Jesus Christ and a much, much greater appreciation for His Word and how complete His Word is, how without error His Word is, how His Word fits, and it's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. And the joy that we all can have in being a student of, I think, the greatest story that's ever been told is such a blessing. The excitement, the excitement of being a part of the greatest purpose, the greatest plan that has ever been brought forth. It could have only, only been devised in the mind of a holy, righteous, loving God. So as we go through this study, Christ of the book, and we find the Lord Jesus because he is, he is the book, he is the living word, and he's the one who's given us the holy word, the written word. What a joy it is to be able to study. And so far we've gone from Genesis to Malachi. From Genesis to Malachi. But if you think that means that we're going into, that we're moving from the Old Testament into the New Testament, well, you're in error. You're in error. You need to realize that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even the early part of Acts, is actually a continuation of God's purpose and plan for the nation of Israel. And it's actual, actually a fulfillment of, of all of God's promises to the nation of Israel concerning, well not all, all the ones concerning his first advent of the anointed one, Israel's Messiah. Malachi ends with Malachi 4. Look at, turn with me to Malachi. Malachi chapter 4. Starting with verse 4. Malachi 4, 4. See, the divisions, Old Testament, New Testament, there in your Bible, those are man-made divisions. And the sooner you realize that, the easier or the better it's going to be to study God's Word as you desire to rightly divide the Word of truth. Those divisions, I believe, cause a whole lot of confusion, and that's what happens when you don't rightly divide. Because all of a sudden you're thinking something is coming to a halt, 
and something else is starting when actually when you read it as a continuation of what God has promised we see him fulfilling it just causes the lights to click on and come on inside your head well Malachi chapter 4 starting with verse 4 remember ye the law of Moses my servant this is remember Israel is back in the land the temple has been rebuilt they're already practicing sacrifices again uh, here. But Israel is under Gentile dominion. That's critical that you understand that. Israel is under Gentile dominion. But they are back in the land. Look at verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. From Malachi to Matthew, 400 years went by with Israel looking for, waiting upon, searching for, their coming Messiah. Then, in the fullness of times, in the fullness of times, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. Fullness of times? What, what does that mean? Does it mean that when the time was right? Well, yeah, it was the time right. But in the fullness of times when God had told them, here's when you need to expect your Messiah. It was all there for them. In the fullness of time, God, as He always does, honors His Word and sent forth the Messiah. We spent quite a bit of time on Daniel 9 talking about all that. As a matter of fact, look at, look at Luke chapter 2. I'm not sure, Tim, if I remember to give you that chapter and verse, but look at Luke chapter 2, verse 25, Luke 2, 25. See, this is what Simeon was doing in the temple. This is what Anna was doing in the temple. They were waiting for the promised Messiah. See, those who believed Daniel's prophecy understood Daniel 9. That the 490 years, the Daniel 70th weeks meant something. And after a certain period of time, certain things were going to happen. And so here's Simeon and, and, and Anna in the temple expecting all of Israel, the bells and whistles and the flags and the anticipation should have been, should been there. But Luke chapter 2 verse 25 and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, her Jehovah's Messiah. 
And he came by the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the Christ child, or the child Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law. Then took he him up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Uh, verse 36, it talks about Anna and her expectations. See, here, Simeon was there in the temple waiting for the consolation of Israel. The word consolation means comforter. It means the comfort. What God had promised he was going to do and his blessings to Israel, that's what they were there for, waiting for that comfort of Israel, waiting for the one and only one who could provide that comforter. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's in keeping with when he told the disciples, I'm going to depart, but I'm going to send another comforter. Third member of our triune God. I'm going to send another, the same with a paraclete. I'm going to send another comforter, one to walk right alongside you. That was the promise. That's what was going on here. See, in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those historical events, those things that, that happen during that, uh, the writing of those books, part of that 490 years is included in what they wrote down was happening by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, or at least 483 years of it. See, and that's important too, because Daniel, had, Daniel said that uh, from the going forth of the commandment to rebuild the wall, to rebuild the city, that 483 years would transpire before the Messiah would be cut off, but after the end of 483 years, the Messiah would be cut off. That 483 years includes what took place in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So their writing is all about those historical happenings of the Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. That's why Matthew chapter 15, verse 24, Christ says, I am sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Fulfilling God's promises to the nation of Israel. It all consists of his earthly ministry doing miracles, and actually God's word calls them signs and wonders, because they were signs of what? They were signs that this Messiah, this, the one who comes, is going to do exactly what the Old Testament prophets said he would be doing. How are you going to recognize him? How are you going to know that he's the one? How are you going to know for certain that it's not some charlatan, that it's not someone saying he's sent from God, saying he's the Messiah, how are you going to know that he is Israel's Messiah, the chosen one of God? See, that's interesting because John the Baptist, he had that same, same question. Look at Matthew. 
It's a good question to ask because they, 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 they certainly didn't want to worship any false gods because that got them into trouble back when. Matthew chapter 11. Start with verse 2. This is John the Baptist. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And he said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight. Well, guess what an Old Testament prophet said was going to happen when the Messiah came that he was going to be able to do. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Those were all signs and wonders that this truly was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He was the one sent from God to redeem his people, Israel. And from Israel's redemption, from Israel's belief, as they believed on him as the Messiah, they were to be blessed of God. They were to be a light unto the Gentiles. They were to be that nation of priests. They were to be the ones to point to the rest of the world and say, we know who the true and living God is and have proof positive that he's exactly who he says he is. All of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all part of those signs and miracles and wonders that the Old Testament prophets had said would happen. John was the forerunner, the one Malachi had just talked about. As a matter of fact, I'm ahead of myself. Look at, look, go back at Malachi again. Who is this John the Baptist that came baptizing? Well, he was the one that Isaiah talks about is going to be the forerunner of Christ. This John the Baptist, he's the one that's coming in, and he's the one that's, that's going to be saying uh, uh, the, the Messiah is coming and preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We repent. Uh, the baptism of John was preparing Israel to be that nation of priests. All that was part of what, what God was doing. And showing Israel, confirming to Israel what he was doing. Behold, verse 5, Malachi 4, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Look at Matthew 11 again. Verse, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. Look at verse 14. And if you will receive it, this is Elijah which was to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That office could have been filled by John the Baptist. The time was right. Malachi. Uh, told them, expect John the Baptist, expect someone who could fill that position. The Lord Jesus himself said, John the, John the Baptist is the one for that. John was the promised forerunner. Look at Isaiah 40. 
Isaiah 40. Start with verse 1. I'm not sure which verse I gave you to him, but start with verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Hey, that guy goes back to what we just talked about, him saying that he's the consolation of Israel. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The price of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Who was that prophesying about? John the Baptist. The scripture even in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about that was his position. They identify this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. So all of this that was happening, all this that was, was flowing past, that was the fulfillment of, of God saying this is going to happen. It was indeed happening. Verse 5 of, of that chapter 4 of Isaiah, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The timing, they, they remembered Isaiah, they knew Isaiah, Unfortunately, he came into his own, and his own received him not. But we'll get into that in just a few minutes. Go back to Isaiah. Just let me give you another example of what I'm talking about. Go back to Isaiah again. Go to Isaiah 61. And, and there are so many of these scriptures, but we would be here until the turkey burned downstairs. But look at Isaiah, and I'm not going to let that happen. Look at Isaiah 61. Verse 1. Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim, this is important folks, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Now Isaiah is talking about the advent of the Messiah. The chosen one of Israel. Here's, this is what God has said. Turn with me to Luke. Luke 18, I mean uh, 4, 4, 18. Luke 4, verse 18. And again, as we look at this, understand God's timing is perfect. And now you may say, well, Pastor, isn't this something you ought to cover in seminary class? I'm going to tell you what this does. This confirms, at least to me, of the accuracy, the dependability of the Word of God. So we need not be ashamed of it. So that we might know which good news to proclaim. Which good news to preach. How to tell our friends and loved ones to behave. How to follow God's word. You got to know this. You got to know this. But Luke chapter 4. Look verse. Um, let's start with verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. 
And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Hey, that's what we just read. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Are you ready? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Look what he does. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of them were in the synagogue, were, uh, of them all that were in the synagogue, were fastened on him. Well, isn't that wonderful? Except he left, they, he left a part of it off. He didn't quote all of it. What part did he not quote? Go back to Isaiah. Chapter 61. All of that first part, verse 2, to proclaim the day to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, to comfort all that mourn. What part got left out? And the day of vengeance of our God. That part he didn't quote. Was that in error? Or was because that part includes Daniel's 70th week, the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, and I'm here to tell you, it does. He quoted everything that was happening on that day. Isaiah was telling him what's going to happen, and friends, I got news for you, and the day of vengeance of our God is going to happen. The tribulation will occur. But I've got news, good news for all of us sitting here. We're not going to go through that. We will be raptured out. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But see, this is written to Israel. Christ's earthly ministry in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 10. It's all about preparing the disciples for this day of vengeance. Preparing them for the day of the Lord. For them, don't take thought of what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. What you're going to, what, your father knows you have need of all of these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all of these things will be added unto you. That's because the day of the Lord is coming. And that's a promise that they're going to have through that, through that time. The four Gospels, in the four Gospels, you have the promised Messiah presented in four different ways, each one an indicative of an Old Testament declaration of who he would be, what he would be, where he would be, when he would be, how he would be. It's all there. The ministry of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is given to us in order that we can see clearly God's hand in presenting who the chosen one of Israel is going to be. You ever wondered, you ever wondered this, why are, they, why are there four Gospels? Why aren't there just 
why isn't there just one? Why isn't there just one gospel? I'm going to tell you, because you could never present clearly, precisely, all that Christ represented in just one book. Every one of the gospels presents Christ in a particular fashion. Matthew presents him as king. Mark presents him as servant. Luke presents him as man. John presents him as God. It falls into place. It makes sense. And there are certain words that pertain to Matthew, that, and we're going to see that in a second, that don't pertain to the other, all the others. In the Old Testament, oh, and by the way, by the way, just to show you how, how God loves you and He loves His Word and He wants you to understand it, do you realize that in Matthew and Luke, Matthew presents him as king, Luke presents him as man, we have genealogies. In Matthew, the genealogy presented is regal. In Luke, the genealogy presented is legal. One identifies with king, the other identifies with, you guessed it, man. But see, there's no genealogy in Mark because servants didn't have a genealogy. Nobody cared. And God, God doesn't need a genealogy. See, do you see how God's word flows? Do you see how precise it is so that you might know whom you have believed? That you might know that it's true, it's accurate, and that you do not have to be ashamed of standing upon it. And you say, but pastor, I just can't explain all that. I, I usually don't. You don't have to. I mean, it's good if you can. Let me encourage you to be a student of God's word. But here's what you need to remember. And I just said it. I know whom I've believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You've trusted Christ. I encourage you to be a student of God's word. Hey, if I can learn these things, you can learn these things probably a whole lot faster and a whole lot quicker. But what we have are the four aspects, what we have in four aspects of the Gospels is God incarnate's life and his work while on earth. By the way, the apostles, they only saw him on earth. You don't think that's significant? In Acts chapter 1, when he is, ascends into heaven and the apostles see him being caught up into the clouds, they don't see him in heaven. They only saw him on earth. The apostle Paul, who's the apostle to the Gentiles, he never saw him on earth. He only saw him in heaven. Folks, it, can it get much clearer? But study to show yourself approved unto God. These things are there. Those nuggets, those golden, precious pieces of information are there for us to study and to understand so that we might know exactly how firm the foundation is that we stand upon. But the four Gospels are the same, same time, same events, but just from a different perspective. And by the way, the Gospels were not meant to be 
synoptic. I know there's been a lot of criticism, and people will say, well, this gospel account doesn't agree with this gospel account, and why this one says this, and this one says something else. Well, first of all, that's not, that's not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, that's a wonderful thing, because that shows you that they didn't copy from one another. And by the way, Matthew didn't say, you know what, Mark, I don't like the way you put that together. And John didn't say, come on, Luke, let me show you how to do it. That's, it was the Holy Spirit moved on both of them in order to present the one who stepped out of glory, who lowered himself, he humbled himself, in order to seek and to save that which was lost. The four accounts give us that view of, it, of who Christ is. And besides, you could leave here. This, let's, let's take the Lester's last night. It was a great concert, by the way. If you missed the Lester's last night, I am telling you, it was fabulous. But I could ask four of you who were here at the Lester's concert to describe what you saw, what you heard. And you know what? You'd get four renditions of the exact same event. You know what that proves? That proves that God used the human element to write his word. He used them in order to get his point across. So that's not a criticism. And we're not going to take time this morning to go through the ones where there are the people say, oh, that's, in, that's not consistent. It is when you study the scriptures according to understanding God's presentation of himself in these four different accounts. In Matthew, the whole point is from Zechariah 9.9. Behold your king. Behold your king. Thy king comes unto thee. How does Matthew present the Lord Jesus? The emphasis is that he is king. As a matter of fact, 31 times in, the, in Matthew, it, 32, 32 times in Matthew, it talks about the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It, that the word kingdom of heaven is not mentioned in any of the other accounts. 32 times John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why was the kingdom of heaven at hand? Because the king was at hand. He was there. You ever wondered why in the story of Matthew we have wise men, the magi, coming to Jerusalem, looking for, let me think, anybody remember? Who were they looking for? A king. Why were they looking for a king? That was Matthew's whole emphasis. That wasn't an accident. That wasn't Matthew's, well, hey, I get to tell this part of the story, okay? That's not how that came down. The reason why we have the story of the Magi was because and by the way, these, these weren't Gentiles. These were Jews, part of the captivity, ancestors, or kinfolk to those who had been carried into captivity, but a whole bunch of them stayed there. 
And they came and said, we have seen his star. Only about 400, well, 400 years had gone by. Uh, a little over 400 years had gone by when that took place. Um, we've, we've seen his star. They were expecting the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 9. We've seen his star. The, this is an indication that the king is here. And where else would they go to search for the king but in Jerusalem? In Matthew chapter 16, chapter 13 through 20, it is the only account where the Lord tells Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. I think that's interesting. I think that's significant. Not in, Matthew, not in Mark, not in Luke. Mark 8, it talks about Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter admits, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In Luke, he does the same thing. But it's only in Matthew where the king himself it can tell Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And what do you do with keys? You unlock. What do you think was happening in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 when Peter stood with the 12 or the 11? What was being offered on that day? The kingdom. Repent in order that the times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. It's only in Matthew where Christ tells the apostles you are going to sit on judge, you're going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 thrones. The whole emphasis of Matthew is king. It's Matthew 25 where the judgment takes place. Christ returns, he sits up his throne serving as king to do the judging of the nations. All that emphasis is on him being a king. Mark Mark, he is servant. No genealogy. Servants didn't have a genealogy. They didn't know. In Isaiah 42.1, Isaiah talks about the Messiah. And the Lord says, behold your servant. Behold your servant. Or behold my servant. Behold my servant. Zechariah 3.8 Again, the Messiah is to be a servant. And lo and behold, Mark presents him in that fashion. It was his nature to be that servant. Mark emphasizes, as you read through Mark, it's the shortest. And it emphasizes the frailty, the fatigue, the difficulty of the Lord Jesus, but it also emphasizes his service and his sacrifice in such a way that points and fulfills the fact that the Messiah is to be servant. As a matter of fact, Mark 10. Look at Mark 10. Verses, start with verse 43. Mark 10.
Oh, well, that's not the... Oh, no, I better get out of Mark 9. Look, Mark, Mark 10, verse 43. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Go back and find that where it says that in, in the others. It doesn't. For even the Son of Man came not to minister, to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Coincidence or the hand of God presenting you with the truth of his word so that you don't misunderstand. Now, Mark chapter 9. Verse 35. Mark 9, 35, and he sat down and he called the twelve and he said unto them, If any man desire to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. The whole emphasis of Mark is to be a servant. 40% of the book of Mark, 40% is devoted to the last seven days of Christ and his service and his sacrifice. In Luke, we have Christ as man. Zechariah 6, verse 12. What to expect from the Messiah? Behold, your, behold the man. Behold the man whose name is the branch. The Zemach. That's the star that the Messiah, or the, the Magi, were looking for. We don't have time to get into that, but that's a, we will at Christmas time, though. Luke presenting him as man, he's the only one that has the birth of Christ in a prenatal, what took place before the birth of Christ. Giving that history, giving all of that information, leaving no doubt that Luke is presenting Israel's Messiah, who was to be the Son of Man, in such a consistent state. His humanity is stressed, his birth in a manger, in the flock tower. We're going to talk more about that too, but not today. Luke 19.10. You have Luke 19.10? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Only in Luke do you find the story of the Good Samaritan. And where it talks about the fact that he, as a man, was a friend of publicans and sinners. I find that all just amazing and indicative of God wanting you to know his word is true. In John, he's sitting down. In John, it's all about he is God. Again, there's no genealogy, but in Isaiah 40, verse 9, behold your God. Every one of these gospel accounts presenting the Messiah in such a way that it fulfills God's word. In the book of John, we, John 10, 14, we find that he and the Father are one. John 10, 30. John 10, 14, Philip says to the Lord, Master, Show us the Father and it'll suffice. What does he say? 
give me a second? Does he say, hmm, boy, you ask tough things. What did he say to him? Philip, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. It's in John 1 where we find that the Lord Jesus Christ, he declares, he reveals the Father. You want to know God the Father? You've got to know God the Son. In John 14, when it says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father but by him. And church, I'm telling you, we should be offended when people try to declare to us that there are other ways to God other than his chosen way and the, the sacrifice that he went to beyond all measure to purchase our redemption. How dare they? insult God in such a fashion. By the way, all roads lead to God. All roads lead to God. But only one way as Savior. Because I got news for you, every knee is going to bow. There is the resurrection of the just, there's the resurrection of the unjust. All roads lead to God. But only one way to eternal life. Every other way is eternal death, but they will stand before Him. Amen? If you do an exhaustive study of the four accounts, you're going to find different words used, different miracles presented, different things happening that all present Christ. As Israel's Messiah, God's anointed. It's amazing, amazing proof positive of the accuracy of His Word. Why is it important? I'm telling you, folks, we are about to head in to some difficult times. Your faith is about to be challenged in ways as it's never been challenged before. You had need, you'd better be, you need to be grounded in this. It better not just be a Sunday thing to pass the time to make your husband or to make your wife or to make your parents happy and get off your back. It better be because you know the Lord Jesus Christ and your faith is grounded in the Word of God. And it, and you're not going to have an excuse because it's here. You just have to be a student of it. No more excuses. Amen? Behold your king. Behold my servant. Behold the man. Behold your God. By the way, even early Acts, and we'll get to Acts. Not today. But even early Acts is a fulfillment it's a continuation of all that we've been studying. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, at least up to Acts 7, Acts 8, are all part of what's going on here is God's promises to Israel. It's not until Acts 9, all of a sudden, there's this dramatic change, and you start, start scratching your head, and you go, what's going on here? Well, we're going to talk about that the next time we get together. But folks, it's, it's exciting to study all that was revealed to the prophets. It's exciting to reveal all 
there is concerning Israel's Messiah and to see the fulfillment. But I'm telling you something, the joy of studying those truths that were not revealed until they were revealed to that chief of sinners are even more astounding. And I can't wait to get to them. Because it's there where we find that we don't inherit the earth. We inherit everything. We are joint heirs with Christ. We are heirs of God. Oh, that revelation of the mystery, those truths that God had hid in himself and not revealed until he took the chief of sinner and saved him by grace and revealed it to him. Those are such glorious truths. It ought to put us on shouting ground. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. Father, help us to be the students you would have us to be. I pray, Father, that every individual here desires to be a student of your word, to search the scriptures daily, daily to see if these things be so. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here that's never by faith trusted you as Savior, Father, may this be the day they realize that that's exactly who you are and that you can save to the uttermost that you can make a new creation out of them. You can change their life from being lost and dead in sin to being alive in Christ and dead to sin. Father, only you can bring that about. And I pray that every single person who is here this morning understands that. But Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't, may the Holy Spirit just move on their heart. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.